ever had an experience of me up here. I move around a lot, and apparently I'm like an auctioneer, so. But, um, yoo-hoo, family, I'm up here. Now, when I say that, you're supposed to say, yoo-hoo, back to me, ready? Yoo-hoo, family. Yoo-hoo. That's from Frozen. <laughs> Nina. Mean. That is from Frozen when they go, anyway, oh my gosh. I, I promised myself I wouldn't tell too many stories and I wouldn't tell too many jokes. I've got so many, <laughs> but I won't. I promise I won't. I promise I won't. Because honestly, you guys, today is a big day. And in fact, I could have totally come up the steps and done the whole thing. And then I would have been on my face and crawling across the finish line. Because honestly, the wrestle it has taken this week to week, by the way. So Pastor Drew, I've told this before, Pastor Drew has a preaching, you know, calendar. Okay, he's done. I think he's done with next year's already. I don't know. But anyway, when I go and look, I can look way far ahead. So by the way, it hasn't just been a week. I've been working on this for a while. And, but I will say this last week, the wrestle it has taken to get this sucker onto the page has been kind of exhausting. It's been a beautiful experience. I'm really excited to get to share with you. If, you're, if you haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, um, we are in the book of Colossians. And the reason I think it's been so kind of like, oh, so exhausting and just like, wow, amazing, amazing, is because our awesome beloved pastor decided he was gonna unpack all of chapter one two weeks ago. And then last week, cha- unpack all of chapter two. And I decided I will do it too even though he didn't really challenge me to do that, but I was like, oh my gosh, I wonder if. However, I also really wanted to focus on one little spot and we'll get there today. But then I realized, you know what? This is so rich. I don't want to leave anything out. But like I said, to be totally honest and totally transparent up here, the wrestle has been real to get to this place. So I am here and I am excited to be here with you guys. So if you don't know anything about the book of Colossians, it is one of Paul's letters. He's writing it to the church of Colossae from jail. He doesn't actually know them personally. He kind of just knows them sort of from afar, but cares about them deeply because he knows that they are Jesus lovers. And so this letter is really, um, the whole tone is to remind them of who they are in Christ. If you, like I said, chapters one and two kind of, which if you didn't get to hear, did I already say that? Go back and listen. But chapters one and two kind of point out how the Colossians were being sort of sucked back into the world and forgetting who they are in Christ. And so that's really the overarching tone of this entire letter. But chapter three is really cool, you guys, because not only does he do the reminding, he also gives basic instructions for extraordinary living in Christ. And this is a reminder to them. And the cool thing is, is it's a reminder to us as well, because of course we're reading it and we're engaging it together and we 100% can glean lots of stuff from this text. And with that, we're gonna get going. Would you pray with me first? Oh, Heavenly Father, we just want to lift this next, these next few moments, you know, 20 mo- minutes or so up to you, God, and just offer ourselves. We offer our hearts to you. We offer our minds to you. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear exactly what you want us to hear, that you would write on our hearts exactly what you want written on our hearts, that today we would absorb what it is, the message that you have for us, what it is today in this room. We know you're so intentional and your word is so powerful and it's alive. So even if we've read this book a million times, we will get something new. And even if it's the very first time we've ever heard it, Father, we know that you are going to move through, these, through, through this message, through uh, the scripture, through, through our time together. Will you bless it? We surrender ourselves to you. We trust it to you. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. 
All right, you guys, well, let's get straight into the text. So I'm going to be in the New International Version, also known as the NIV. Um, and I actually uh, copy and pasted the script that I'm using off of um, a website called Bible Gateway, um, which is really, really great. I love it there. Uh, you can get all the versions and all the different you know, books of the Bible. It's, it's a great place to go, especially if you want to do cross-referencing. But the reason I say that is because the little subtitle that I got from them is really, really good, and it's exactly what this is all about. Living as those made alive in Christ. So chapter three, this section is all about living as those made alive in Christ. Let's go ahead and start with verse one. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, right away, the tone of the letter is talking to the Colossians as if they are sold out to Jesus because they already are. So the message that we receive today is the same. If we are sold out to Jesus, if we have received him as our Lord and Savior, this message is for us. And we can allow these words to sink deep into our core. We can take them to heed. We also can um, kind of come alongside Paul as he reminds the Colossians and reminds us, like I said, who we are in Christ. He's telling them to set your hearts on things above, set your mind on things above. Again, in chapters one and two, they were getting pulled away by the world. The world was dictating to them who they are. Does that happen to anybody in the room? I know it happens to me. The world tells me every day, tries to remind me every day, actually, you're this, or you're not that, you're this, or how about be this? But ultimately, who we are is who we are in Christ. Now, we can know that up here. We can know that in this brain that's inside our skull, right? But I think he's actually calling us when he says, set your mind on things above, set your heart on things above. He's calling us to know that to our core. He's reminding us that that is where Jesus lives inside of us. And we know this deeply. Be reminded, who are you in Christ? Now this takes some intentionality. We have to, uh, yes, stop. Okay, yeah, I know that in my, in my brain, but I also know what my grocery list is and I also know what two plus two is and I also know, right? We have to be really intentional to stop and to allow what we know, what we deeply know to resonate and to take root and to be stirred up in us, right? That takes some intentionality. It takes some presence. And again, today, uh, I know that I need to be reminded of all of this too, just like the Colossians did. Let's move on to verse five. <clears throat> Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Let's pause for just a second. This is really good. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Paul is reminding them that they actually have had some awesome, miraculous things happen in their lives. They've done some work already. A couple of weeks ago, um, Pastor Drew, we were all in this ser sermon series um, called Say What? You guys remember that? It was really good. Um, well, Zach Sawhill was up here and he was talking about holiness. And during that sermon, at, towards the end, he said, listen, we are, our salvation is free. We don't have to do anything for it. We just get to receive it. 
But he also said, but then, or and then, how about and then? I like and better than but. And then we have some work to do. Well, Paul is reminding the Colossians like, hey guys, because of Jesus in your life, you have already done some of this work, right? How many of you in this room, just when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, things just kind of, you made choices. You're like, I'm not doing that anymore. And these big rock items, these big things that really tied us to the world kind of fell away or the Lord helped us be strong and resist them. And there was changes made in our lives. That took work, right? Well, Paul is telling them, you have actually already done this work. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. However, there were some, still some things remaining, right? How about us? There's still some things remaining. Again, that work that needs to be done. It's, it's a process. It's sanctification. It's, it's um, going from here to there in our growth and our transformation in Jesus. Verse 8, Paul says this, But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Here's where the work really takes place. I'm pretty sure sitting in this room, all of us are guilty of this second little list, right? Anger. Anybody? Yeah. <laughs> Slander? Check. Lying? I think it's interesting because actually the way that Paul poses this component when he talks about lying, he says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of and in the image of its creator. Okay, I actually think that what Paul is saying here is don't be fake to each other. As believers in Christ, we are in process. And that process is ugly, right? Am I right? And sometimes it's great, and then we have like four steps backwards. But when we show, our, or show ourselves to one another and only like this polished and I've got it all figured out and how come you haven't done all this work way, we're lying to each other. And how sad is that? That really is discouraging, have you ever been around someone where you're like, I'm not buying what you're putting out there and you really make me feel like I am not, you know, measuring up. We don't want to do this to each other. In Christ, we are all in process. And in him, we get to be open with what that process looks like. If I were to stand up here and say, this whole thing is really easy. Isn't it easy for you? I'd be a big fat liar, right? That's lying. Now, how do we know? How do we know what we're struggling with? I think we have to really be, again, intentional. Got to know what we know, right? We have to engage and interact and ask ourselves these questions. Paul also says, we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. That knowledge now resides inside of us and we have brand new eyes to see. The question is, are we willing to see? <laughs> Again, that second list, anger, slander, malice, that stuff is all inside of us. And maybe even stuff from the first list is even still a little bit there, maybe a lot of it there. Lust, anyone? You know, lust isn't only 
more and more and more of sex and sexual things. Lust is more, more, more of any one thing that pulls us away from God. It's anything that we, we chase after that becomes little G God in our lives. Power, anybody? We can lust after power. Control, hello, ladies, we're so bad at this. We want control over everything, right? And we pursue it. And then, of course, there's all the other stuff, right? All the other things, the anger, the malice, the slander. We have to stop with this renewed knowledge and take a look. Paul is encouraging the, sorry, not the Corinthians, the Colossians to take a second look. He's encouraging us to do the same. And let me remind you that the truth will set you free. Last week, Pastor Drew mentioned this right at the end of his sermon. And he said, and the weird thing is, is like this word truth, it means lots of things. It absolutely does. Truth, the truth will set you free. Jesus' truth, his self alone, just himself, he will set you free. His story, the gospel message, the gospel of truth will set you free. And so will being honest with yourself and allowing that honesty and that vulnerability to be shown and known. It'll set you free because you know how hard and how much work it takes to keep that tucked away and hidden and to be presenting somebody that we're not or to even be keeping it from ourselves. We work really hard to keep stuff from our own selves. It's really crazy. But again, we have this new ability, these supernatural eyes to see. And I want to talk a little bit about awareness. Now, today we're going to talk about self-awareness, which isn't really only about self, although it starts with self. But follow me here. There's a couple of kinds of self-awareness. Self-awareness one is the public kind of self-awareness. Self-awareness two is the private kind of self-awareness. Public self-awareness is pretty self-explanatory. Ultimately, this is how you experience me, who I present to you. This matters because who I present to you, and if I'm totally unaware of who I'm presenting to you, and it's not a good representation of who Jesus is in me, that's actually giving him a bad rap, right? And it's also giving me a bad rap, which isn't great. Maybe I'm presenting a harsh person. Now, there might be reasons behind that. It could be hurting, but I I don't want to present a harsh person. In Christ, I'm not harsh. Maybe I'm unteachable. I'm overly sensitive. I'm prideful or I'm arrogant. I don't want to be presenting things that aren't real. And I want to know what that's like. I need awareness. I I need my community to help me be aware of that. If I'm pretty consistently like coming in hot and I'm just like, you know, I don't know just rattling stuff off. I need my friends, my family to say, wow, what's going on? What's going on? And that can help me become self-aware. Also, again, I have those supernatural eyes to see. The Holy Spirit will move in me and he'll tell me too. Now, this public self-awareness can um, be fleshed out um, by slander, can be fleshed out here. If if we're constantly getting together and every time we get together, you're talking about other people, That's not great. It's not a good representation of probably who you really are. There might be something else going on inside of you. It's definitely not a good representation of who we're called to be in Christ. And back to the lying thing. Are you an exaggerator? Do you like to tell stories? Do you like to add stuff to your stories that's not really true? Even if it feels true, that's not a good representation of what is true. 
Exaggeration is lying, even if it's just telling a story. Eh, it's harmless. But it's harmless because, or it's not harmless because it actually lowers your street cred. If my street cred is lowered, the credibility of what I say and what I share, then ultimately Christ in me, his street cred is lowered and I do not want that. But I might not even be aware of this. I have to go and take a second look. Now, private self-awareness is where our emotions come in. This is also where we can discern the voice of the Lord, that quiet time before the Father. The private self-awareness is stuff that's going on and bubbling up inside of us. Maybe it's sadness, sorrow, anger, these other things, that real rage. Maybe this is all bubbling up inside of us. Maybe we don't even know what we think about something or feel about something because we're constantly moving from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, and we're not ever slowing down and stopping long enough to ask ourselves or to let the Lord tell us something. Silence, stillness, solitude. The big one for me is the stillness. I'm up here moving around. I'm a mover. I've got a lot of you know, energy. I move a lot. But when I stop and I get still, oof, things bubble up to the surface and I must invite the Lord into that place and space. I must rely on him there. But if we are unable or refuse to get quiet, it's pretty hard to hear him. It's pretty hard to ask ourselves what we really think or feel about anything. And our self-awareness, our inside, our private self-awareness goes by the wayside. We have no idea what's really going on inside of us. We have no idea when we're triggered. Why are we triggered? Because out of that, then pour something outside of us. So it's like our private self-awareness or our lack of self-awareness turns into public self-awareness pretty darn quick. Am I right? This happens comes out of us. We don't want that to come out of us. What about anger? Anger's rough because Christians, you know, as Christians, we're not supposed to be angry. But are you? Are you angry? I know sometimes I am so just angry. I don't always know why. I definitely need to get quiet and to kind of explore what that's about. But I'm telling you right now, denying that it's even present is not benefiting you. This is not helping you. It's not serving you. And how about, does your stomach hurt? Because the reality is, is that stuff will find a way out. It'll probably go to your stomach or I don't know. It's, it's weird how it all works, but it's true. It all works. We have to get quiet before him and ask to help us with our self-awareness. Another step from here is to confess. And when we, are community, when we are a community of confession, if you have a safe other or safe small group of others where you can come and share what's going on in your life, this also sets us free. It's a whole other layer of the truth will set you free. It's so beautiful. The process is so beautiful. And I get it. It's scary. But again, we, Paul is calling us, do not be fake about what's going on. That doesn't mean I need to let that be known to every single person in my life. But a trusted other or a trusted other's Confess what's going on. This is powerful because then it has no power over you anymore, right? And we're carrying it with each other. You guys, when we're willing to do this, we become models. We become models of what it really looks like to be Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, there was um, a woman who was processing getting baptized and she was so fearful to do it because she was like, my family's gonna think I'm just full of it. Because they think in their minds that, oh, once she's baptized, she comes out and she's perfect. She'll never do anything bad. She'll never say anything bad. 
I don't want people, I don't want the world to think that that's what this looks like, right? We are in process. It is a messy, messy process. And when we are willing to be honest and model what that looks like, we become models of his grace. We become encouragers. We become brave makers for him, for him, not just for me. I'm not doing it just for me. I mean, there are benefits and I am much more peaceful and I am like, wow, I can really receive him better. And it's awesome. But I, it's not just for me. It's for the other. It's for the kingdom. This work is done for the kingdom and it's not selfish. So take the time, make the time. Don't find the time. I say this a lot. It's one of my favorite things. Don't find the time, make the time. We have to get quiet before him. We have to allow him to help us understand how am I, what am I thinking? What do I think? How do I feel? What's going on inside of me? What am I projecting to others around me? And allow your communities to help you do that as well. It's not easy. It can be really scary, but it's so worth it. And we're safe in his arms. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has any grievances against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, if this sounds familiar to you, that makes sense because this is basically the list of the fruits of the Spirit. That's a letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter five. He said, here are the fruits of the Spirit. And basically he was telling them that, hey, when these things are present in you, it's evidence that the Holy Spirit is working and moving in your life. Well, that's not exactly what he's saying to the Colossians, to the Colossians and to you and I this morning. He is saying, clothe yourselves with these virtues. Now, my argument here is that I don't think we can actually clothe ourselves with anything unless and until we are able to receive it. Think about a coat. You can't put a coat on unless you receive it. And even if it's from a coat rack, you're still receiving it in order to put it on, right? So right away, we get to practice a little of that self-awareness we just talked about. And we get to ask ourselves a couple of questions. The virtues are compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. Do I receive the kindness of God? Do I believe he is kind? Do I receive his patience? Do I believe that God is patient with me? Ask yourself. What about gentleness? Do I believe God's gentle? And above all these, Paul says, the binding agent, the eggs in the cake. What about love? Do I believe that Jesus loves me? Now, I know some of you are probably thinking like, yes, I believe Jesus loves us. That's not the question. It's really safe and comfortable for us to say that. Jesus loves us. Uh -uh. Ask yourself, do I believe that Jesus loves me? Love is a big deal. All of these virtues are. And we have to first receive them in order to put them on so that they can then pour out of us. 
But we have to ask ourselves if we're willing and able to receive them. We have to ask ourselves, heck, think about love for a second. What do you even think about love? Do you believe in it? Do you believe in love? I mean, I'll be honest, sometimes I'm like, ah, love. I don't know why I get like that. Sometimes I do. (laughs) I don't get like that with Jesus and his love, but I do sometimes just in general. It's important to ask yourself, what's going on? Why do I think that sometimes? Do I have expectations that aren't being met? Do I not really understand what it is, what it means? It's important to ask ourselves these questions. And the reality is that love is such a big deal. You know, we could be learning about it all the time. It's something that I think it's really, really hard for us to grasp. The concept in general is hard for us to grasp. And it's funny, I feel like recently this whole message on love any message on love, but specifically even the love of Jesus, I feel like we kind of poo-poo it. Like, okay, yeah, I know Jesus loves me. Okay, I know Jesus loves us. Can we get something else? Can we get something with some teeth? I need something really applicable right now. Wow, think about that. It's not a sissy la-la message, guys. It's not flowery and soft. Love is hard. It's hard for us to receive it. It's hard for us to give it. We could learn about it every single week. Pastor Drew could preach about this every single Sunday and it would be hard for us still to grasp. Every guest speaker come up here and speak about it. Love, the love of Jesus. Do we know the love of Jesus? It's really hard. It's hard to offer, hard to receive, hard to grasp. Let's see just how hard. So I know I told you that I was going to unpack the entire uh, chapter, but I lied. I'm going to skip to 18. (laughs) I lied. At least I'm honest. Um, No, I lied. I'm only a middle way up here, you guys. Okay, so I really couldn't do the whole chapter. But make sure you go back because 15 through 17 is really, really good. But we're going to skip to 18. Okay? And again, this little subtitle here, and I want you to hear this. The subtitle is this. Instructions for Christian households. Got it? Okay. Right away we see Paul address the text um, in this little section to Christian households in a place where love must be present. Love must be present in these relationships for them to even happen at all. The relationships are wives, husbands, children, fathers. Verse 18. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. Do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Okay, you guys, so there's a lot to unpack here. Are you with me? So I believe that this section alone just requires like its own sermon, right? In fact, this is where I actually was going to focus. I was going to focus on this spot, but I was reminded that we are in a series on Colossians and I didn't want to miss out on all the other amazing stuff in this chapter. But at some point, I probably would love to go back when we do a marriage series um, and preach this message um, because it's really, really good. 
It's also really, really hard, right? But I believe here right away that Paul is addressing here for husbands and wives um, our sin nature, okay? Now, in order to really unpack this, we'd have to go all the way back to Genesis, and we'd have to do a word study on what God, me- God means and intends for marriage, which is this term, help meet, which essentially says that I, Shannon, Brett's wife, am for him what he is unable to be fully for himself, and that Brett, my husband, is for me what I am unable to be fully for myself. It's two sides of one lean-to, right? Makes a lean-to, both of us. And then also we'd have to unpack the eating of the apple and the fall and all the different things that came after that and who's to blame and blah, blah, blah. But again, that'd be way back in Genesis and we're going to stay in Colossians. Now, I also know and understand that the term submit can be very triggering. But again, this is for Christian households, right? And it's wives to husbands. So I want to make sure that we hear that that's what it's saying. But I also still understand it can be really triggering. Maybe in your experience, it's not safe to submit. And you're thinking to yourself, no way, not doing it. Maybe you don't think your husband deserves it. Actually, and this is where it comes, where where the husbands come in. They're called to love, right? They're called to love us. Now, there's an author and pastor named John Mark Comer. And he wrote a book called Loveology. And he does such a great job of unpacking Um, this section in scripture. Now, he actually does it out of the book of Ephesians. So did you know that this is directed twice in the New Testament alone? It's in Ephesians and in Colossians, and it says exactly that, wives submit, husbands love. But John Mark Comer does a really good job with this. So uh, because we're in the book of Colossians and I didn't want to go too far into the whole thing, I'm going to use a quote from him. It's a little bit longer, so here we go. When a man doesn't want to give up his life for his wife, and a woman doesn't want to submit to her husband, then both of them are saying, in essence, I don't want to be like Jesus. But the reverse is also true. When a man is actually like Jesus in a marriage, when he loves, gives, nourishes, who doesn't want to submit to that? And when a woman is actually like Jesus in a marriage, when she submits with joy and respect, what man on the planet doesn't want to make sacrifices for that? You see, you guys, this directive to both husbands and wives holds Christ at the head and us coming underneath. And he's encouraging us as husbands and wives to serve as he served. This is what he did. We are called as spouses to outserve. Drew likes to say this a lot, and I love it. Like, I'm going to outserve Katie. Like, it becomes like almost a thing, like, right? Out serving, Jesus came to serve. And because we are like him, we also can serve freely under his lordship. We are all the brides of Christ, all of us. Even you men in the room, blushing brides. He is the bridegroom. And he offers to us sacrificially, he offered to us sacrificially, and he continually does so. Do we know this? Can we receive this? This takes a lot of time. All of this takes a lot of time. It's a long process, you guys. And it's hard to submit and surrender ourselves to the Lord, to trust him, let alone do any of these other things. Offer gentleness, kindness, love. It's not easy. 
But in Christ, we are empowered to do so. We get to live different lives. He gives us a new way and empowers us to do so. We are alive in Christ. We need to remember who we are and live. We get to live our lives that way as though we are his. It's so powerful and it's not of this world. Of course, it's not easy either. All right, you guys, finishing up. Children get to be Jesus to their parents. Fathers get to be Jesus to their kids. Slaves read employees. It's better fitting for those of us in the room today. We get to be Jesus to our bosses and at our jobs and to our coworkers. In Christ, we are new. And that newness, full of love and gentleness, kindness and patience that gets to flow out of us freely. But first, we must receive. We cannot give any of this without first receiving. And without fully and deeply knowing, way down to our core, that each and every one of us is loved by Jesus. Do you know you're loved by Jesus? Not, yeah, yeah, we are loved by Jesus. You. You are loved by Jesus. He loves you. We are new in Christ. We know more. And because of him, we can live extraordinary lives with basic instructions. I said basic, not easy. Right? not easy. But we have each other. We model for each other. We bolster each other. We encourage each other. We strengthen each other. He's given us family as a gift to do it together. Right? Right? All right. Well, I did it. (laughs) Would you guys stand with me? I'm going to pray for us. Is that okay? Mm. Jesus, thank you for the better way. Your way is so beautiful. But it's hard for us. Just like the Colossians, we get pulled by the world and we forget who we are in you. Help us to remember. Help us to know deep in our core how passionate you are for us, the compassion you have, the gentleness, the mercy, the grace, the forgiveness, the love. We praise you for it today, Lord, and we ask that you would help us. Teach us how to receive it better. Speak to us, to our hearts, Lord. More about love. Help us to grasp it, to wrap our heads around it. Help us to be brave and bold to say, I am loved by Jesus. I know you love me, Jesus. And then to be brave and bold to pour that out to the other for the kingdom of God, your kingdom, your kingdom. Help us to be self-aware, to have a new level of awareness, to get quiet before you, to trust that presence. Help us to make time for you. Help us to see with supernatural eyes. Put us around safe others who can also help us to see and so we can encourage and bolster 
in our transformation process, in this sanctification process that you're walking us through. We praise you, Jesus. Help us to offer, offer ourselves to those who are closest to us, our family, wives to husbands, husbands to wives, to our children, at work. Help us to present who we really are in you. We love you, Lord, and we trust you. Help us to trust you. It's not that easy. Thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing and what you will continue to do. We surrender it all to you. In your holy and precious name, we pray. Amen.